This is Radio Health Journal. I'm Reed Pence. This week, when should kids get their own smartphones? If you wait until a female is 14 years old before you allow them to have a mobile phone, I can tell you that they're going to miss out on at least 50% of their peer culture social life. When should kids get their own smartphones? When Radio Health Journal returns. I'm Nancy Benson, host of Radio Health Journal. If you enjoy Radio Health Journal, you'll also like Viewpoints, our sister show covering current affairs. This week on Viewpoints. We like to think of the city as this kind of amazing circulatory system. You know, it sort of draws people in, but then it can often sort of cast them out. The appeal of American cities and a plan to fix them. Then, learning about the captain of our ship, the unconscious mind. All that and more this week on Viewpoints. Listen to Viewpoints on your favorite radio station, iTunes, and Stitcher. In just 10 years, smartphones have changed how we spend much of our time. It's normal now to see people looking down at their phones as they walk down the street, carry on a conversation, or sit in a restaurant. Our phones have become constant companions, or constant distractions, and the age that it starts is nearly down to single digits. The average child gets a smartphone at age 10, and surveys show that 40% of third graders have one. I think it's young. I think every child's different, and maybe for one or two eight-year-olds, you know, based on their circumstances and maturity level, that might make sense, but I think as an average even 10 is young. Dr. Yalda Uhls is assistant professor of psychology at UCLA and author of the book Media Moms and Digital Dads. Do they really need a phone? I mean, one of the top reasons kids get phones, I mean, yes, of course, they all want them because their friends have them, but another top reason is because parents want to be able to get a hold of them. And do we really need to get a hold of them? Do we need to track them when they're in elementary school and they're in a you know, nice, safe environment? You know, and developmentally, kids are still learning so many things. What we're seeing is these phones are really distracting kids from engaging with family and distracting kids from doing their schoolwork. And now we're giving kids phones when they are even younger. That's child and adolescent psychologist Dr. Richard Freed, author of the book Wired Child, Reclaiming Childhood in a Digital Age. What's happening and what I see in my practice is kids living their lives out in their rooms on these phones and they just scroll past this endless parade of kids who put up this false front or put up this perfect life scenario and and kids are looking to that and saying, wow, that's not me. I wish I was there. And it really is fueling loneliness and sadness. Freed says when he counsels kids who've tried suicide, he asks how they usually spend their time. Many say, I'm alone in my room on my phone. Freed says fifth graders, let alone third graders, aren't old enough to handle social media. It's just too addictive. He says kids don't spend time with the family. Even at the dinner table, they're on the phone. Parents describe that. They say, my kid is sucked away by their phone. I can't get them off. My limits used to work for everything, parents say, but they don't work for phones. My kids are sneaking it. My kids are obsessed with it. And I believe that kids are becoming addicted to these smartphones. 
when you introduce this technology too early, they start to spend hours and hours Instagramming, Facebooking, Snapchatting, and they just really miss out on being a kid. They're not going outside to play as much anymore. They're not reading. They're not hanging out with their friends face-to-face. Brooke Shannon is founder of the resource group for parents, Wait Until 8th. But while many parents would probably agree with her, researchers may not. Mobile phone use is not taking away from time that teens spend together, that young people spend together. It's just not. It's actually positively correlated because they're using mobile phones to coordinate meetups. So they use the technology to find each other and to create opportunities to get together face-to-face. And when they are together face-to-face, They're using the technology to incorporate other people, other information, other plans into the mix. And if everybody's in the same sort of generational cohort, it's fine. In fact, it's more than fine, according to Dr. Scott Campbell, professor of telecommunications at the University of Michigan. Mobile phones help kids do what he says is their most important job. The job of a young person is basically to establish their identity through their interactions with peers. What's going on is these kids are progressing through life, and we did too, and figuring out who we are by who we connect with and who we don't connect with. I think that mobile communication is just helping to facilitate this natural process that young people go through in figuring out who they are through their interactions with others. But that's not the job of parents, and that generation gap is why older people often can't understand how kids use their cell phones. So interactions between teens and someone older can be misinterpreted, like when a teenager is with his family and paying attention to his smartphone when his parents expect him to put it down. When young people are using their phones in a face-to-face context with other people, especially people like me, who have had to transition to this technology. I did not grow up with this technology. I've had to transition to it. And a lot of my contemporaries and people older than myself have, and we have a different set of normative expectations about spending time with people face-to-face. Older people have grown up in different times with a different set of expectations about attending to the other person. And I think that that's where the disruption is most evident. To avoid the conflict, but mostly to avoid the dangers, Shannon's organization calls for parents to pledge not to give their children a smartphone until at least eighth grade. When 10 families from the same grade at a school have taken a pledge through the organization, they're all notified it's in effect. For example, I have three daughters, and my oldest is in fourth grade, and there are 60 other parents that have signed the pledge as well. And I know who they are, and my daughter knows who they are. And so it's a lot easier for her to know that she's not going to be the only one. She won't be isolated or a social pariah. She has friends that are waiting as well. That may work if all of a child's peers are abstaining. But if not, then the social pariah danger Shannon mentions may become a reality. I think that if you wait until a child, especially I would say a female, is 14 years old before you allow them to have a mobile phone, I can tell you that they're going to miss out on at least 50% of their peer culture social life up until that point in time from like age 11 to 14. And I'm not sure that it's okay or a good idea to allow or to necessarily have kids miss out on that experience when maybe we can think about, you know, conversations about how they use the phone, who they're using it with, why they want to have the phone, and also really, really clear boundaries, you know, really clear boundaries before you adopt the phone about when and where you can use it.
parents have to have healthy boundaries in place, whether the kid has a smartphone or not. And there needs to be boundaries put in place. Not having phones at the table, only having phones during certain times of the day, not having phones in the bedrooms, only having them in shared space. And yes, absolutely, schools need to step up, and many of them are not stepping up. Many schools are very complicit in this, and they're allowing children to be in phones during the school day, during the classroom, during lunchroom. And the research is quite alarming. On the academic front, um, a recent study out of the University of Texas just came out saying that just the mere presence of a phone being beside you is essentially a brain drain, that you cannot focus on the task at hand if your phone is near you, even if it's turned off. They did a test and they basically showed that kids that had a phone with them in the room did not do as well with children with the phone removed from the room. But it's not the technology itself that's positive or negative. Campbell says it's all in how it's used and what limits parents put on its use. If a child's on Snapchat at 2 in the morning, maybe the parents need to install an app that keeps that from happening. One of the major, major concerns with young people getting phones is that when they have unfettered access to it, they have unfettered access to content and everybody else, and they can sometimes lose sleep over this. They stay up at night, you know, feeling like they have to be accountable to their friends and, you know, checking in on social media or just messaging folks. And, you know, young people do this. They like to stay up at night late, and they like to be social. They like to have sleepovers. But, you know, the boundaries are just not there with mobile communication in terms of space and time. And so as parents... I think we need to think about not just should they have it or not have it, but how should they have it, when should they have it, that kind of thing. However, parental limits on a child's phone use can go too far. Campbell did a study on teen sexting, expecting that tighter parental monitoring would limit it. It didn't. Like if parents use it as a form of punishment to take the phone away, or if they check messages, they look at the content, you know, they make the kid give them the phone, that kind of thing, it doesn't curb sexting. So I'm not sure that parental monitoring is necessarily the answer. What I did find in that study was that when parents use the phone with their kids in any capacity, whether it be talking or texting or some other thing, that that was significantly linked to less sexting. So that study would suggest that parents might want to jump in and just be a part of it. Limits on a child's phone use should also be discussed in advance, before the child ever gets the phone. When you have these boundaries set in advance, and you tell the kid, okay, you know, we have X minutes left, and then we're going to have to turn this off. Those kinds of boundaries in advance make for smooth transition and that the kid is more compliant. Whereas if you try to just sort of abruptly crash in and decide that, oh, man, this is way too much. Oh, man, I can't believe we've been on this so long. Those situations create a tremendous amount of drama and tension and problems. And so By way of analogy, I would say with older kids, you know, like setting the expectation that, you know, maybe the Wi-Fi in the house isn't going to work for their device after a certain time. Maybe their device isn't allowed to be in their room at a certain time or on at a certain time or something like that. But I just think that people need to get on the same page early on in advance and agree that these are the boundaries. And maybe there's a set point in time, six months or a year down the road, that they revisit those boundaries. But I think everybody needs to be on the same page. Now, all of that applies no matter what age a child gets a smartphone. So when do the experts conclude that that time should come? When is a child ready? Dr. Yalda Uhls. I think the transition from elementary school to middle school, so around 11-ish, 
because that's when kids usually go from a smaller school that, you know, is close to the neighborhood to a larger school that may be further away, and that's when parents might feel more comfortable with the child having a phone. They're also starting to really care about their friends, and if all their friends have phones, you know, for them not to have one, you know, will make them feel left out, which is not also a great place for a kid to be. Brooke Shannon and Dr. Richard Freed both say eighth grade, about age 13 or 14. And Dr. Scott Campbell, he's going through this himself. His son, Fletcher, just turned 10. I asked Fletcher, as a tiny bit of research before this interview, what age he thinks kids should be getting a cell phone. And he said, "Mm, 11 or 12. I was surprised, honestly. I was thinking he'd be like, oh, dad, 10. But fortunately, he's thinking 11 or 12. However, Campbell says there's no hard and fast rule. Kids are different, so parents should think about things like this. At what age can somebody be home by themselves as a child? At what age somebody can start taking on responsibilities, babysitting, whether it be siblings or even other people for money? At what age, you know, you can entrust a kid to walk to school by themselves or come home by themselves? So with all of these, I think that we inherently kind of, well, we should, and I think many of us do, inherently kind of factor in a number of things like, Obviously, age, which is your question. But aside from age, you know, what else is going on in the kid's life? You know, how much responsibility are they taking on? How much can we trust them? How mature are they? And also, when it comes to mobile phone use, who are they running around with and who are their friends? Campbell and Shannon say there are sometimes legitimate communications reasons for a third or a fifth grader to have a phone. Maybe a child shuttles between divorced parents. But Shannon suggests that in cases like that, a flip phone, not a smartphone, may be the answer. You can find out more about all of our guests on our website, RadioHealthJournal.net. I'm Reed Pence. Medical Notes this week. The blood thinner warfarin is prescribed to as many as 10% of people in the Western world. And a new study shows they're getting benefits beyond what's expected. The study in the journal JAMA Internal Medicine shows that warfarin helps protect people from cancer. Researchers say people taking warfarin have a 16% reduced risk of cancer overall, including a 31% reduced risk of prostate cancer and a 20% reduced risk of lung cancer. Vegetables are good for kids, and a new study shows fish are especially good for them too. The study in the journal Scientific Reports finds that kids who eat fish at least once a week sleep better and have IQ scores that are four points higher on average than those who eat fish less often. Researchers say fish should be introduced to children by about age two. And finally, before too long, odds are your doctor is more likely to be a woman than a man. This fall, for the first time, more women were enrolled in U.S. medical schools than men. Overall applicants to medical school have increased by more than 50% since 2002, and the number of women entering medical school has risen by nearly 10% since 2015. And that's Medical Notes this week. Thank you for listening to Radio Health Journal, a production of MediaTracks Communications. If you enjoyed this week's show, please leave a review on iTunes or share it with a friend. You can find more Radio Health Journal stories about health, science, and technology on iTunes, Stitcher, and at RadioHealthJournal.net.